Welcome back to the Wildcats Conservation Alliance podcast, where we take a deep dive into the fascinating and often complex world of tigers and their conservation. I'm Amy Van Gelder, and today I'm bringing you a special episode to celebrate World Photography Day. So, if you're an aspiring wildlife photographer or just want to learn more from behind the lens, this episode has the perfect mix of inspiration, creativity, and technical advice. So art has always helped humans to connect with the natural world, from early images painted onto cave walls to the beautifully detailed illustrations in books, on canvas and decorating homeware. But when the first grainy photograph was taken in 1826, no one knew just how much this new technology would help transport people to places they cannot go and see things that they would otherwise not have the privilege of encountering. Photography not only makes the world feel closer, but it also inspires people to care, making it an incredible tool for conservation. Tigers, specifically the Bengal tiger in India, have been extensively documented by photographers who have showcased the magnificence of these animals to a global audience. But beyond beautiful images, photos have also provided graphic evidence of our devastating impact on habitats and species, which has helped to drive action in a worldwide community. Across the world, photographers are using the power of pictures to help save endangered species, and today we are joined by an amazing photographer and longtime friend of Wildcats Conservation Alliance, Tao Shohan. Tao is a UK-based photographer who specialises in big cat photography. He has been pursuing this passion for over a decade, first honing his skills in a zoo setting before capturing wildlife in their natural habitats, both home and abroad. For over a decade, Tao has been supporting us here at Wildcats through the use of his images and commission from sales. So, Tao, great to have you here. Thanks for joining us. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. I'm looking forward to the podcast. And <laughs> so. Yeah, thank you so much for agreeing to do it. So the first question that I wanted to ask was, what were your inspirations behind getting into wildlife photography and how did you start out? It's a really good question, actually, because I think typically it's um, things like other photographers. But I think for me, the photography is secondary. I, actually love nature and animals first and foremost and it, it comes from you know influences in terms of family you know my auntie dad used to sit and watch documentaries with David Attenborough but there was one particular pretty powerful moment I think when I was about seven years old went to a zoo and it was the end of the day it was summer holidays when we had hot summers hotter than today it would seem from my memory anyway um, and we, we were exiting the zoo all the kids ran to the ice cream van and I noticed something in the enclosure uh, next to me. So there was, you know, like a fence and some wiring and then there was some long grass and I saw some movement and I looked and I focused through the, um, the grass. It was only seven years old and I didn't see the tiger. I just saw uh, the stripes, the movement of the stripes and the foliage. And that's one of my earliest memories in terms of nature, one of my most powerful as well. And I think it made it more powerful, the fact that I didn't actually see the animal, I just saw a, a glimpse of it. And when I got my first full-time job and started my career, you know, that's when I picked up photography and bought an SLR. But then I thought, what am I going to do with this? Am I buying a gadget for the sake of it? And I decided um, after my first trip to India, I wanted to do some good in the world and do my bit for tiger conservation. So you said there wasn't a particular photographer that inspired you to get into photography. Um, but do you have a favourite photographer? That's, that's a 
you know, it's a really good question. And um, I think in terms of other photographers in the same genre, there were some that sort of um, gave me inspiration when I was first starting out. So there was a really good talk by um, Andy Rouse, uh, the Wildcats um, ambassador, back in 2009. And that was really inspirational. And then I love the work of Michael Nick Nichols and Steve Winter, uh, who are National Geographic photographers, because they don't just show the beauty of the animals and natural world, they tell you the whole story. And I think that's more powerful in terms of conservation, but not really many photographers, to, to be honest. It's just those that I can sort of think of to start with. And I try to draw my inspiration now from other art forms. You know, I, I love music. Um, I love cinema, poetry and books. I, I read a really interesting book by a famous tiger hunter turned conservationist called uh, Jim Corbett. There's a park named after him now. And he, and he used to write stuff like, you know, he'd be tracking tigers on foot. And, you know, very much like my early memory as a child, he'd see a flash of orange in the green, you know, or just see these two eyes looking at him, you know, beneath a shield of leaves. And that visually stirred my imagination. And that made me try to make those sort of images because it was such a powerful uh, vision. And I related to it as well from my sort of childhood experience as well. So, um, uh, in terms of influences, yeah, at the start, you know, some photographers, but now um, other art forms, I'd say. So do you remember your first experience of seeing a wild tiger then? Because you've mentioned before the one of seeing mm. at the zoo, but in the wild. I, I sure do. And um, it might sound a bit cliche, but every time I see a tiger in the wild, it's kind of like seeing it for the first time because they, I try to explain in words, there aren't no words for it try to show in my pictures and my videos which I've got into recently but um they're so elusive so when you do see them it's amazing they move with a certain grace the coloration their patterns their stripes um their huge eyes just their sort of cool calm demeanor as well um it's quite enchanting actually so every time I see one it does feel like the first but my first one was actually 2008 in Bandavga National Park and uh it was tough going when I went we went in November when it's typically sort of tougher to track and find tigers. And after three days, we'd spent a fair bit of money, hadn't seen nothing. And then we got a report that a tiger had been sighted in a ravine. And then we got to the area and I looked around and I couldn't see nothing. And then the guy tapped me on the shoulder and pointed and just sort of a few meters, you know, 10, 15 meters away, this young subadult was just lying in this little pool and just staring at us. And yes, I took my pictures, but what I did was, and I think this is important, and I'd recommend this to anybody that goes out on a safari or something. I put the camera down, I looked at the animal, and I did a 360 and I looked around me. And that was more powerful than looking through a little viewfinder, looking through a screen and experiencing it all that way. So I'm really glad I, I did that. And you said that November was could be quite a difficult time to maybe see uh... tigers. Do you have a favourite time, a favourite type of season or time of day to take photos of tigers? You know what, um, it's going to sound a bit contradictory, but November, uh, because um, it's post-monsoon season, the forest is lush and green and it's beautiful. And the contrast you get between the orange and the green is fantastic. Everything comes alive. You, you typically get fewer sightings of tigers in November. Um, although that hasn't been the case the last few times I've been, they've been very good. But um, I think it's worth it for just the feel of the forest. Uh, plus you sweat a lot less as well. It's only 30 degrees in winter in them sort of post-monsoon. I went in um, May uh, this year and it was 47 degrees. 
Oof. Yeah. That it, is a sweaty day out. <laughs> well, it was, it was beyond a sweat. You, you start to get a bit of heat exhaustion uh, with um, those sort of conditions. The safaris are time to go out when it's cooler in the morning and the evening because tigers, you know, like you know, are crepuscular. But it led to more sightings as well because there were fewer water bodies and the tigers were drawn to those. So we did have quite a few sightings in May. So it was worth it. What has been your most rewarding shoot um, or what photo are you most proud of capturing? I mean, I've got really high expectations of my photography. So part of me wants to say none haven't got there yet. But I think in relation to tigers, it would have been when we saw back in 2018, a mother with small cubs and she was so relaxed around us that the cubs were feeding and I think for me in terms of what we did you know we got to the the area we found her we stayed quiet the cubs came out and they were feeding we'd done everything right and it was perfect the tigress was relaxed the cubs were out playing I think that one because of the way it all sort of um, panned out was quite an enchanting memory but, it, but it's not just tigers. I do love doing local wildlife as well. So um, I recently um, uh, moved to Kidderminster in the countryside and I'm working on some little owls right now. And that's actually quite rewarding. And I've captured some pretty enchanting moments of them as well. Uh, kingfishers as well, uh, badgers. So local wildlife as well, Amy, I think. Would you say as well, then, if you were going to recommend people to get into wildlife photography, mm. to look more at their local animals first before going and maybe taking photos of the big charismatic creatures? You know, with your um, question, I think you've touched on a really important point, because, uh, again, you know, from my perspective, I don't think images are made with the metal, the glass, the plastic of lenses and cameras. I think images are made from the heart. And I think if you've got that original connection with the species and you're passionate about them, you know, I've got a great affinity for tigers, for example. I think that's got to be the starting point. You know, I think if you approach it in the sense of, oh, well, I need to get the latest gear. Oh, I need to get these trophy shots for social media and so on. I don't think that's the best way to go about it, my personal opinion. You've got to have that passion for your subject, whatever it may be. And I think from there, everything builds up from that. But in terms of things like camera gear and starting points, the technology is so good right now. You know, there's loads of really good entry level cameras that only cost a few hundred quid, you know, and you could you could carry on spending on camera gear. But what's the point if, you know, you're not able to get out with it? That's my Yeah. Thing. So you've kind of touched on a question I was going to ask. What is your opinion on the kind of camera gear rivalry that some people talk about? I think from the camera manufacturers perspective for them it's great you know because they they constantly build new models and stuff tempt people in and they like that sort of culture but as an artist as somebody who's trying to do something for animals and nature first and foremost it doesn't really interest me that much I guess it's easy for me to say because I've got some quite decent gear now but um, I think one thing I would like to say to my past self is to not get too obsessed with cameras lenses gear and settings and focus more on a the animal the species what you're passionate about b how you can portray them in the best way how you can do something for them and and c get your personality into the images you know i think one mistake i made when i first started was looking at you know other photographers work and, and it's fine when you start you know you're finding your feet and so on but there's a risk you'll become a pale imitation of them you've got to find your own way and, and it all starts with the subject you know and being passionate about it knowing it understanding it 
and having that that purpose in life to do something you know for you know, in my case uh, the tigers uh, if that answers the question yeah definitely so you said you have got some great kit now um so <laughs> what is in your camera bag or what would you say is your kind of wildlife essential kit that you take with you well I like to use what we call fast prime lenses and what they do um, is uh, they're quite big and heavy. They let in a lot of light so you can shoot animals in sort of darker conditions, um, but they also um, give you what's called a shallow depth of field. They isolate your subject. And um, I love that look and that feel of that image because I'm also inspired by the work of artists. So the great impressionists such as Vincent van Gogh, for example, and it uh, the the um the lens I use, which is a four hundred mm f two point eight, it blurs out the background so much that it makes it into an impression. And then your animal, your subject, the tiger, for example, just pops out of the frame. It helps to give you know a format that's typically two D a little bit more depth. It makes it three D. Makes the animal pop out. Um, so that that's what I use. You know the downsides are it's pretty expensive and heavy. But again, I go back to you know purpose and you know what I'm trying to do with my images so I, I deal with the weight you know a few gym sessions and so on using bean bags and the jeep and monopods occasionally and and um, that's my main lens I use in terms of cameras there's been a bit of a change in recent years and um, cameras have evolved into uh, what we call mirrorless cameras so you'd have your single lens reflex cameras which are a little bit more older with like a mirror that flaps up and down larger bodies a bit slower but now you get mirrorless cameras which are a lot more compact but they've built in so much technology and one of the big things that they've done is really evolve video um, which is why I do this little video documentary I'm, I'm always trying to find ways that I can do for conservation so as a result of that I got got more and more into making a video so um, I've got a mirrorless camera which is the Canon EOS R5 and my 400mm f2.8 those are the main things I, I use for tigers. And um, it's okay for now until the camera manufacturers start spamming me <laughs> again. Well, that's the thing. Um, do you, is yeah. that your perfect setup? Or if money wasn't an issue, would you have something bigger, crazier? <laughs> you know, um, that's, it's, again, it's another interesting question. And if money was no object and if I'd won the lottery, I probably wouldn't spend it on more camera gear i'm happy with what i've got i'd donate to wildcats conservation alliance for a start <laughs> um, <laughs> no, I'd, I'd, i want um, something tangible from what i'm giving to conservation you know and uh, i want it to make a difference and um you know maybe advice season ticket you know at old trafford to see manchester united play but um you know i'm happy with the gear and I'd, i think conservation's at the heart of what i want to do so I tried to focus it in on that, to be honest. So that kind of brings me to kind of what do you hope that your photos will help to achieve for conservation? That's a good question. And uh, I think what I would like to do is make images that inspire change and ideally make an image that will change the world for the better. I know it sounds a bit ambitious, but, you know, my philosophy is always, you know, don't just aim for the mountaintop, aim for the stars. You know, you've got to have these big targets. And um, that's what I'd like my images to do. I'm not content that they've done enough just yet. I still think I've got a long way to go. And um, I think I need to evolve a little bit more. It's not just about taking pretty pictures of animals. For me, I think I've gotten more into doing 
more documentary type work because then you see the relationship with animals and humans that live alongside them that's the real world you know it's not a shangri-la they don't exist in a paradise or there's very few places where they exist without sort of um human interaction especially in india you know the population's uh, shot up and is shooting up so there is a lot of interaction between tigers and people you know villages in close proximity and i think getting that message across to the world showing people what it's real really like will ultimately help with conservation when you go over to india you're doing a lot of the uh, the safaris into the protected areas yeah. um, and that kind of falls under the umbrella of um kind of ethical tourism do you oh, yeah. think that that is a, a a good way to help support tigers it's a tool. It's one of the ways. I mean, it, it can't just be the single approach. And I think with tourism, it, it seems to be working in India because there is the infrastructure for it, you know, and uh, the roads and the habitat, you know, allows for that. But in places like Sumatra, you know, it's it's very tough terrain and it's difficult to do there. And which is why, you know, the work that ZSL and Wildcats do in those areas is really important. So I think in places like India where there is that infrastructure, yes, but it's a double-edged sword, you know, and I think it needs to be sort of controlled and managed in the sense of you can't have too many Jeeps in one particular area, they need to be spread. There's a few reserves that are quite popular because of social media and historic reasons, but there's so many other reserves that nobody's heard of where tigers are quite populous and visible. So one thing I'm trying to do is go and visit these sort of less popular reserves, these less popular areas to try and spread the word and to spread tourism across the board. Um, that's just what I'm doing, you know, personally. And, and it'd be great to see others sort of doing that as well to just sort of spread the burden of tourism. I mean, burden's a pretty harsh word, you know, because tourism, ethical tourism, does bring in good revenue to the parks, you know, which helps to maintain them and it gives all the local people ownership, you know, of all the species in that park. They're, they're kind of their own assets that they have to look after in a way. And um, there's also a sense of pride as well. I think I've noticed in India in terms of the tiger because it's an, an, a national animal. Well, it was made to be the national animal. So I guess there's more ethics as well behind actually taking the foot, the photograph oh. and not just of tigers, but of wildlife in general. Oh. Um, mm -hmm. Can you talk us through that a bit? Of course I can, yeah. I mean, there's a fair bit that I've put on my website about it, but it, but it's not, you don't need to put it in like a list of like 10 commandments or rules, etc. You know, it's, very, it's, it's essentially common sense. All you've got to do is think of the welfare of the subject before the picture. It's as simple as that. And I'll give you some examples. We, we had an amazing encounter with a male tiger in India called Mutkasud back in 2016. And he was walking down the path and the, um, the local drivers at that time, their instinct was to get close to it because they thought, oh, if we get the tourists closer, we'll get a bigger tip and, you know, they'll get better pictures. But I said, no. I said, what we need to do is stop, watch the animal, see what he's doing. And we figured that he's just going on a territorial mark and we watched his behaviour. So was he tense? You know, were the ears flat? Did he have aeroplane ears like cats do? Um, was his body tense? Um, was he waving his tail? Was he giving us a message to say, back off? And because we stopped our engine and I instructed us to go back, we were kind of sending him a message saying, this is your space, we're keeping this distance. And he got relaxed and we got an amazing, doesn't sound like a lot, but we got an amazing 20, 25 minutes with him as he sort of patrolled his territory, went up the, the path, marked the trees, scratched the trees. Um, and he just started um, listening to some deer as well, which was amazing. So yes, 
you've got to think of the animal first. And uh, the last thing I want to say about that, Amy, is I think it shows in your images as well. If you think of the subject first and your subject is relaxed and calm, you get better pictures. You know, it shows in your images um, as well. So you spoke a bit about, obviously, the different tigers that you've seen while you're out mm. taking photographs. And um, how yeah. does tiger tracking actually work when you're in those situations? Uh, you, you know, again, Amy, I think, um, yes, there's certain things that you look for and certain things you do. But um, for me, it, it almost becomes um, instinctive. So the, the things that you look for is, um, as a starting point, when you're in these parks, you have a official forestry guide that knows the animals, that know how to track them. They're in day in, day out. They'll understand the animals' movements. And the kind of things they're looking for is in the mornings, the roads are quite sandy where the Jeeps go. You're looking for pug marks or footprints. You get the general sense of the direction the tiger's gone in, but at roughly at what time it's gone in, because you can tell roughly how old the um, footprint is. You're listening for alarm calls and distress calls, because when a, an animal like a tiger or a leopard walks through the forest, all the prey species, so langur monkeys, peacocks, cheetle deer, sandbar deer, they let off distress calls. They're letting each other know there's a predator in the area and warning sort of each other. And uh, so you're listening out for those as well. You understand the, the pattern uh, of the animal as well in terms of where they mark the territories. And sometimes there's an overlap between animals. So if you've got two females in a particular patch of forest, their, their territories are going to overlap at some point. And what they'll do there is there'll be a lot of extensive markings. So it's essentially one female saying, this is my patch, go away. Another one saying, no, this is my patch, you go away. Um, so that kind of thing. Um, I, I think you mentioned earlier as well, when I asked you the question, what, what photo are you most proud of capturing? Um, that mm. you think there might still be one that you're yet to capture. What yeah. would be your dream photo? It would relate to what I mentioned earlier on in terms of it being an image that would change the world. And I think creatively, it's got to be something that transcends art and almost borders on something spiritual. And it's very difficult to explain. Well, I've got plans in my mind in terms of what these pictures look like, but I don't want to give them away. Um, and th the reason is that I think that kind of image can inspire people to do something for tigers. And just by spending my time in India, you, you realize that animals that are on top of the food chain and umbrella species like tigers, you know, even like orcas, another uh, sort of umbrella species, um, they're almost seen as deities, you know, rather than, you know, animals. Can, can you imagine, Amy, you know, if you're in a village hundreds of years ago in India before the internet, <laughs> way before the internet, and, um, you know, you're a villager and you go outside, you know, you're collecting firewood and then you see this huge animal, orange and black stripes, massive head, massive eyes with a sound like thunder. You know, what are you going to think? What are you going to feel? It's, you know, you can see why they're almost seen as, uh, as deities. And um, it'd be an image that encompasses most of what I've talked about today. And I've got a few ideas how I'm going to, make it but it's just going to take time that's the other key with wildlife photography putting in uh, the time and having the patience and i think like there are so many people that would love to get into wildlife photography it's a, a very romantic thing to be involved with but um what advice would you give to any aspiring wildlife photographer again you know um find your passion outside of photography your subject research your subject then learn the technical side of photography 
you know, so shutter speed, aperture, ISO, the exposure triangle, learn all the technical geeky stuff, you know, camera bodies, lenses, um, and then just practice and put the time into it. But always be conscious that you've got to express yourself and try and get your personality into the images. Because if we look at what's already been done, what is the point? We're not furthering photography as an art. People are just scrolling through these images and um, we're not doing anything for anyone really, then are we? I think that's what I'd say. In fact, that's what I do say. <laughs> <laughs> um, so you obviously spoke a little bit about some of the, I think, using your words, the geeky side of photography. What are your, what's your kind of workflow and your editing software that you, you like to use? I just use an iPhone, Amy. <laughs> no, um, it, I always try to get it right in camera. So I try not to crop too much because you lose the look and the feel. Um, of the lens that I've got and then what I'll do is say if I'm going to Tiger Safari if it's been a good day I might take a thousand pictures I'll load them onto my computer I've got this free piece of software called Faststone and what it does is it renders I'm going to get a bit geeky here it renders all the JPEG previews of the files so they load it really quickly and then through that I can pick my very best pictures and then it's only those that I'll transfer over to my hard disk the rest I'll delete what's the point in keeping poor images and then um I'll give it a few days because then you lose the emotional attachment to your images and you can be a little bit more critical in terms of what you pick to choose, edit and show the world. So then I'll pick a few out of those, a few hundred that are remaining, and then I'll put them through what I call a raw editor. So something like Capture One or Lightroom, uh, Photoshop. And then I'll do what we call the raw adjustments, the sort of hard adjustments. So things like bringing detail back in the bright areas, which are called highlights or the dark areas, which are called shadows. Um, getting the sort of overall colour right, which is white balance. And then if it's good enough image, then I'll load it into Photoshop and I might do some stuff like, you know, selective sharpening, getting rid of digital noise, which shows itself as specs on the image um, and maybe a little bit of um, saturation. And then um, I'll post, get a million likes and sail away in my yacht. <laughs> Sounds amazing, yeah. <laughs> So is there any kind of training that you received throughout the years of doing it that you would recommend um, for anyone yeah, else? Yeah, I think um, that the photographers I mentioned earlier on, at the early starts, um, at the early part of my um, journey uh, was really useful. Uh, but there's just so much out there now. There's so many good photographers out there that run workshops and training and there's lots of good stuff online. I think we're spoiled in this day and age. But yeah, put that time in, you know, it depends on how you learn. Sometimes people learn by being with other people sometimes people are okay to learn by reading by videos some people just learn by getting out there and practicing themselves so find your way of learning and then just go for it at the start but make sure there's a cutoff point you don't want to be learning text stuff forever you, you want to go out and make pictures at some point a huge thank you to Tal there for sharing his knowledge and experiences of photographing tigers with us you can find him via his website and social media which are linked in the show notes Look out for our next episode airing next month and make sure you subscribe so you don't miss a single episode. I'll see you next time. Thanks for listening.